Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones, and this is episode 62. In today's episode, I'm gonna be talking about what to do if your dog gets a sudden head tilt, I'm also known as vestibular disease, including some new remedies. Skin disease, it's so common in our dogs, and in today's episode, I'm gonna be detailing how to properly examine your dog's skin and share some of my top holistic answers. Lastly, the problems that I see with big pharma and animal health. This should be concerning to you as it seems your pet's best interests, they're really not what they want, despite all the warm and fuzzy commercials. Veterinary Secrets were on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. I'd sure appreciate it if you subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. And lastly, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book. You can do that by going to veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Any questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog or send me an email, podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Let's get right into today's podcast. Vestibular disease. The signs are affecting balance stumbling and staggering, a head tilt to one side, an involuntary flickering of the eyes from side to side, circling, falling to one side, and possibly droopy eyelids. In people, you can liken this to vertigo. You may lose your balance with a serious inner ear infection or a head cold. The vestibular area of your pet is what controls balance. It allows your dog or cat to walk without falling and sends the signals to allow your pet's limbs and eyes to move correctly. The causes vary. It can be idiopathic where there's no known cause, only inflammation of the vestibular apparatus. It can be caused by a tumor, an inner ear infection, or a blood clot, otherwise known as an emboli. Idiopathic or geriatric vestibular disease is the most common cause. Unfortunately, this is the one that's most treatable and the one that's the least serious. So what are the solutions? Well, the first thing, you could just be waiting it out. You know, if you have an older dog that gets a sudden onset of vestibular signs, you know, this head tilt, maybe the circling, falling to one side, maybe even their eyes flickering, most likely your dog has this condition called idiopathic vestibular disease. In general, this condition will improve somewhere in three to five days and likely fully resolve in seven to 14 days. While the inflammation resolves, the main thing is just ensuring that your dog is comfortable, um, that they're eating, they're drinking, um, all, there's all the sort of normal body movements and you're just supporting them while they heal. Secondly, consider going to your veterinarian. Clearly, anytime you get this up a, a serious sudden condition, it's a good idea to have a veterinary exam. Your vet can rule out an ear infection and discuss additional diagnostics. There's a product called Vertigo Heal, and it's a homeopathic. It's been useful, useful for some elderly people with vestibular signs, and it seems to be occasionally helpful with their older dogs. A typical dose is 10 milligrams twice a day. There's a supplement called Alphalgae. It's for senior pets. It's been widely used to increase quote-unquote mental well-being. It contains a large number of known and unknown compounds, ones are, that may be antidepressant, antihistaminic, omega-3 fatty acids. In some cases, it seems to be helpful for vestibular disease. There's a couple different homeopathics. One is Rustox. Generally, it's one that we've seen useful in vertigo. We're looking at doses of 130C capsule per 10 to 20 pounds of body weight every four to six hours during this acute phase. And the other one is called Gelsium. Once again, you're looking at similar, similar levels or similar doses. Let's talk about some of the herbs you could consider using. Versola is one called ginkgo. Um, we've talked about it for um, animals that have uh, cognitive dysfunction. Um, it's been useful to help increase blood flow, 
to the brain. We're looking at ginkgo doses about 25 milligrams per 20 pounds of body weight twice daily. 95% curcumin is pretty key. What we're seeing with that uh, in particular is we're seeing it be helpful for just decreasing levels of brain inflammation. May, may be helpful for cases of vertigo as well. You're looking at 95% curcumin doses of 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight once or twice daily. You just want to make make sure you're giving it with a meal, especially uh, when there's additional fat in that so it can be absorbed properly. And then third, think of anything as far as any kind of a herbal thing that is potentially going to be anti-inflammatory. may also be helpful for what's going on in that inner part of the ear. I've seen some dog owners have said that their animals have responded to dandelion, so dandelion root in particular. Um, I've discussed it um, in particular how to use it for animals as a cancer preventive, so that's that's another option as well. And when you're looking at the dandelion, if you're, you can look at the tincture dose, much the same as you'd be looking at most tinctures, so about half a mil of the tincture for 20 pounds of body weight twice daily. You want to really make sure you're doing supportive things too. So if your dog is not drinking, get some, see if you can at least encourage them to drink, you know, maybe using ice cubes or something they can lick. Secondly, try to squirt it in. So get yourself, you know, say Pedialyte, an electrolyte solution, and either use a turkey baster or even just get a 20 or 30 cc syringe. I'm guessing, you know, if you want to guess an average amount, think about an average 10 pound animal and need about 100 mils, ideally twice daily. So gauge that amount throughout the day and dose your dog or cat your dog accordingly. Then third, consider you could consider giving sub-Q fluids, not sure you're giving fluids under the skin. So the real big thing here is supportive care. So you want to make sure your animal is not getting dehydrated. Secondly, you're replacing some of those electrolytes. If your dog is not eating, I mean, they can go a day without eating, but after a period of time, we know they're going to heal quicker regardless of whatever the underlying cause is if they're eating as well. Sometimes you can just warm up the food. That'll encourage them to eat. Try something more canned. Try even some type of hand feeding. Sometimes even just stroking your dog, encouraging more is often just enough to get them to start eating again. If you really need to force food in, get one of those liquefied foods or foods that can be made into a liquid. You know, Hill's made one called AD. You can, um, Iams had one called Maximum Calorie, where you can add some water and mix it in. Or you can even just use a canned food and throw that into a blender, a little bit of water, mix it up really, really well. Maybe add something that's going to give a bit of a nutritional boost, such as say uh, an essential fatty acids, such as fish, fish oil or flax oil as well too. And try squirting that in, right? But then you've got some good options. You're also going to be helping replace the food as well. So the last big thing I can say with vestibular disease, for most of the dogs, it was relatively common. I'd be surprised how many animals I saw with it. Most of those dogs got better, probably 90%, but it was just supportive care, you know? So giving them an anti-inflammatory as needed, keeping them comfortable, keeping them in one spot. You might have to help them walk, go to the bathroom. If they're not eating and drinking, look at doing some fluid and some electrolyte replacement where by the use of sub-Q fluids. And I've got a video on YouTube and we've discussed this in the podcast. I'll put a link to that YouTube video. The second part of today's podcast, we're talking about the skin. The skin is the largest organ of your dog and cat's body and is reflective of what's going on in the body. You want to regularly be brushing your pet, looking for fleas, lice, or ticks. The hair coat should be soft and shiny. If you see areas of excessive shedding in your pet, you may be dealing with certain skin conditions such as mange, ringworm, thyroid disease, or allergies. If your pet has areas of hair missing around their face that are not itchy, this could be a type of mange called demodex. This is a small parasite that shows up in pets with depressed immune systems. And often we'll see it when our pets are younger and their immune systems just aren't fully active. One very safe, effective 
effective treatment is vitamin E. It can be given orally at the rate of 400 IUs per 40 pounds of body weight once daily for three to four weeks. And you can also put the vitamin E directly on topically uh, onto that area of hair loss where the demon is, exists. If your pet has an excess of flaky skin called dandruff, he or she may be in need of an essential fatty acid supplement. A real good option is either fish oil and or flax oil. Take note of any palpable lumps or bumps or as you're palpating your dog, you're feeling your cat skin. Lipomas, benign fatty tumors, commonly occur in the chest wall. If your dog has a soft, movable lump in the chest, it's probably a fatty tumor. Sebaceous cysts, they're another common lump. They can often be distinguished by squeezing out a cheesy type substance. Generally, they're very soft. Um, one of the things you can help deal with these sebaceous cysts is just a hot compress, right? And the second thing is you're applying a hot cloth onto that sebaceous cyst, holding them on twice a day, say 10 minutes twice a day. Um, secondly, you can consider putting something on that might be slightly anti-inflammatory in combination with that. So a good option would be putting on topical coconut oil. It's got some anti-inflammatory properties to it. Lumps and bumps become more prevalent as your pet ages and their immune system weakens. The most important thing to do to help your pet is having them on a good premium quality diet, you know, less kibble, more home diets, consider more raw food, and supplementing with additional things such as antioxidants. You know, great options as many antioxidants and supportive products. They're in my supplements, Ultimate Feline and Ultimate Canine Health Formulas. I'll put links to those under the podcast today too. Any lumps that are firm, rapidly growing, and not easily movable should be considered more serious and be examined by veterinarian and if you're not sure just by all means go see your vet and let get let them have a good look at it but that's pretty much a big, big criteria if they grow quick they're pretty firm they don't move more likely they're more serious they're slow growing they've been there for you know two or three years more likely benign allergies they're one of the most common reasons you know we would see dogs coming into the vet clinic i mean there's a huge number of allergens i mean you've got the three main classes you've got external parasites fleas lice mange you have food allergies seems to be about 15 percent of the dog cases that are allergic and then the sort of big one almost 80 percent was environmental so that could be you know indoor things you know such as house dust mites all those external say pollens etc all the other external allergens and the more common signs excessive scratching pawn anal licking hair shedding excessive dandruff the big thing is if if you suspect your dog has an allergy i mean i always talked about doing it systematic first rule out fleas mange lice like treat them if you need to really check them well secondly do a proper food trial where you're feeding some type of hypoallergenic food for a minimum of six weeks so it's a unique, a unique protein you know such as fish a unique carb such as say a sweet potato or something and that's it they get that for six weeks they're still itching likely it's environmental and then you have to look at doing some of the alternative options so yes you can consider desensitization with something like honey which i've talked about you can consider taking away some of that inflammation with 95 percent curcumin when they've got a real big big flare-up you're trying to like i just want to deal with the ongoing immediate itching you want to try something other than a steroid you can consider licorice tincture and it's only meant to be used short term sort of somewhere between five to ten days licorice tincture doses or a half a mil of the tincture per 20 pounds of body weight two to three times a day and then another last big option you consider is something topically a real good topical option is could be coconut oil it's a great one great for any of these surface inflamed areas of skin it is soothing can be potentially anti-inflammatory so there's some additional options you may not have thought of for your dog that has some ongoing skin conditions and i think the last thing i just want to leave you with with that section is the important of just regularly doing this exam once a week and incorporating the skin as part of that exam you'd be surprised the lumps the things that you pick up you would never really you know it's just funny because you'll pet your dog you pet your cat but until you actually do the thorough exam you're like oh, i didn't know there was that lump there so just if you haven't done it i encourage you to try it even once a month
but just pick one time, start doing that. So the last part of today's podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about big pharma and animal health. Big pharma, the large pharmaceutical companies, no question, they have a profound influence on your pet. But more importantly, in your vet, and personally, I speak from experience. Being a practicing veterinarian for 20 years, I've seen the drugification of veterinary medicine. Unfortunately, often it comes down to profits and massive ones that are leading the large drug companies, yielding more and more influence on veterinarians, veterinary students, pet owners, and ultimately your choice as a consumer. Big Pharma is king. Unfortunately, it's affecting all of us. Most veterinarians and pet owners are of the belief that there's a pill for every ale. In other words, you know, it's not, it's become pretty unusual for you to go see your vet and leave without a prescription for something. You know, typically it could be some expensive patent and drug, vaccines, injections, drugs to keep fleas, ticks, and heartworms away, a new pharmaceutical safe for motion sickness, or something else safe for separation anxiety. It may be the newest drug to treat separation anxiety in dogs, or one of the many antibiotics prescribed for a viral infection, which won't be effective anyway. The overuse and in some cases abuse of conventional medication is harming our pets. And I suspect some of this chronic use of this fairly potent anti-inflammatory I gave my last dog Hoochie did play a role in him dying and getting cancer. So in hindsight, obviously I would have done this a lot different. How big is Big Pharma? I mean, I published this a few years ago, and it talked about the 10 largest pharmaceutical companies worldwide with sales in billions. You had Pfizer in excess of 41 billion, Novartis at 36. I think you're going to easily add 10 billion in sales uh, to that revenue now. I mean, these are massive, massive corporations, as big as many countries, you know, GDP worldwide. David Krempe, he wrote a very enlightening article for Morningstar suggesting that the animal health industry is overlooked and undervalued by investors. And the article titled, titled Pfizer's Animal Health Unit, Best in Show. He called the animal health industry a cash cow for big pharma. He writes that there's a steady growth for expectations for animal health drugs and declining sales projections for key human health drugs due to patent losses. We expect animal health sales to represent 7% of total sales in 2015 for the top six big pharma firms with an animal health segment. The author goes on to claim that animal health as opposed to human health is a better and steadier source of revenue. He says it cl- it takes far less time and costs far less to develop and get to market. The approval for new, for new drugs is easier, opposed to getting drugs approved for people. Uh, he uses the example of Sanofi, which, whose research and development on animal drugs was 6% of the research costs, while those same drugs generated 14% of the revenue. On top of this, he made the point that because veterinary medical, medical care is not centralized, there's no managed cares with human medicine, it's mu- much easier to avoid generic competition. Big Pharma is massive. I mean, these are multi-billion dollar corporations that, that have been able to infiltrate every aspect of veterinary medicine. You know, I think about as a veterinary student, they were in there helping to sponsor our events. We have vet schools with declining budgets. If they're there to help, I mean, how can you turn them away? We have even our veterinary structure instructors being affected. You know, I recall a specific professor touting the merits of brand drugs as opposed to using the less expensive generic alternatives. I mean, so how is he getting to that conclusion? Is it based on factual research or is it based on his friendship with um, one of these drug manufacturers? And after sort of leaving, I kind of wondered and questioned that. As a new graduate in veterinary medicine, my very first exposure to so-called continuing education, learning about new stuff, it came from the drug reps. You know, a presentation on skin disorders came from the pharmacy pharmaceutical company. The drug drug rep is showing some of the new drugs which supposedly work so much better for allergies and at the same time ultimately making the practice more profitable. I mean it's really hard because you're trying to find that balance. And then on top of that you got selling drugs. It's not only good for business for pharmaceutical
pharmaceutical companies, but also it's good business for many of the vet practices. Often these things are marked up at 100% profit, but unfortunately not always in the best interest of your pet. Then there's the veterinary conferences, super expensive to run, who are often some of the major sponsors, the pharmaceutical companies. So how can you as a presenter make an unbiased presentation? I mean, you've got them being the big sponsor and you know that whoever is putting that conference on is going to say like, here they're going to have a certain control of the agenda. The last thing they want you to do is like trash some of their big high sponsored pharmaceutical companies. Unfortunately, you know, it really has impacted every area of veterinary medicine, veterinary students, veterinary instructors, practicing veterinarians, researchers, and pet owners themselves. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that in some instances really has taken over veterinary medicine. Sorry, that did sound a bit depressing. I think more than anything, I just want to, you know, enlighten you guys to the fact that it's that such, such, such big business and you may go see your individual veterinarian who could be an awesome person he or she um, but at the same point you can help being be influenced by some of these big um, pharmaceutical companies and how that they influence that your veterinarian they influence the choices you even have as far as medications you can choose they influence your you know your quote-unquote continuing education hence that's a medication you prescribe Wow, they said this is good. This is what you get. But I think it's just the more the big takeaway is that you're aware of all that and that there are other options. And when you hear it from, say, a veterinarian who's very convinced, I mean, how did they get to that place in the first place? And you know, maybe you need to sort of step back and think, well, maybe I should read through some of my own research before I take this drug home or feed X food. Anyway, you guys, thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. Any questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog, veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog, or you can send me an email, podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. And lastly, I really encourage you to get a copy of my free book. Do that by going to veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news.